The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. Position, I mean, yeah. a kind of superiority. If you if, if you identify yourself with that, if you humble yourself in front of that, you're gonna never be afraid of that kind of rejection. It's Experience in in black black association. The first thing he he learned is is that he realized he 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 is controlled by his middle class consciousness. Okay. He retained that kind of consciousness. I think it's, it's very important. Partly because of our culture <laughs> background, now we we also also you can say it's a, a, a not centric city. We don't want to make ourselves vulnerable. It's also so. In a way, I would agree with you. It's superiority complex, but uh, yeah, it's different. You know, you you meet with people from different backgrounds. Some of people they are willing to open up themselves and share with you. But I, in terms of Chinese, I think they are rather reserved. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to share too much. You know? Yes, thank you. <laughs> for, I think it's a cultural piece, and I want you not to yes. think of the Western mind, but also to think of your own situation. Yes. So you're really trying to be more personal. Uh, because of time, maybe we should move ahead. There, um, uh, explain persistence again to me. I missed it somewhere. Persistence. Well, we didn't explain it yet. That's why. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, just that in repeated attempts, especially where there's been um, not results or there's been failure, um, it's hard. After a while, it's hard to go back in and continue to do the same things. Okay. Especially, I mean, assuming that those things are a good approach. I mean, if you're not doing helpful things, then you want to continue to do where, where, uh, What I'm afraid in the in, in welfare mother situation is is I might be overcome the the culture of uh, poverty. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, they they they, they have a very serious problem. Uh, you know, beyond our imagination, and all and everything. Uh, I think, I think uh, that uh, I'm afraid of being overcome. Like, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I don't think myself to overcome that kind of cultural <laughs> situation. I'm not able to do that because I have, hard. I have never been grown up in this in that situation. I think the the person who can be who can overcome the culture the kind of cultural situation is the one who have grown up, you know, who have been accustomed to to that kind of cultural situation. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I am not qualified so, to that. He's basically saying, Will I be overwhelmed by the culture of poverty will it take over <laughs> to a place that affects him personally? He says, I have not grown in that how will I respond to the culture? It may be an obstacle in my communication. The whole difference in social economic 
uh, upbringing and so forth. So, I think that's another reality. If, if God let me survive in that situation, I can do it. But if God... That would be reflected in the differences of approach between Susan Sheehan and the welfare uh, okay. mm-hmm. person. The welfare people were coming in telling her what to do, you know, how to clean up the refrigerator. Right. <laughs> and they just said, listen, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> but Susan just comes in and says, okay, she's got a messy refrigerator. See you, see you tomorrow, it'll still be messy. I'm not trying to change that. Sometimes, <laughs> would you be kind enough to give us your, um, put it on the chalkboard in a little area that you can have? Okay. Uh, what were some of the issues? See, there was a cultural assumption that I was doing as being the American to do that. Let us know you're so distressed. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking you were doing that. Okay. That, um, <laughs> Okay. What were some of the, the issues of bar- that are barriers that uh, for your group? I think some that we have discussed had come up from, yeah, from the other group, like this one, uh, this having kids in school mm-hmm. and interesting things. And, uh, come up well, relationship was with Mr. Delgado. Um, so that's the that was the. Uh, I think in the other group they were interested in building a friendship. Um, what was it? Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. Uh, maybe I uh, I share one the other approach. I'm probably taking is uh, by probably uh, I can move into that area, be part of that. Area. Okay, uh, put I that down then. Your first, your group decided that the first thing to do would be is be a core part of the cultural, be yeah. part of the part of the situation, part of the society. One. Okay, be part of the situation. Contextualize that. Okay. What's the second area that you went you discussed? We discussed almost point for point all things that have been discussed already. Um, different different perspectives. <laughs> I think writing and different No, 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 no. This is this is a difficult. This is what happens to mistrust with female men. You see, when you say them, they mistrust those statements. No, I've got my stuff in red. Okay, he's written in red. Therefore, the nephew on this trust is, is evident here in class. What about the social function? Social, okay. Well, so what, what does that mean? Social? Uh, probably we get interested in certain function like try to get through a party. That, okay, uh, uh, join them at their festivities or be invited yeah, to them yeah, and make yourself available yeah. to social functions. All right. Okay, this, these are some of the things that are very, what I'm looking at is to say, here are some basic characteristics in the book, and you're picking up on those characteristics, and you're trying to also see how can you become part of this this uh, scenario. Go ahead. What's number three? Was that it? We had three things for building a relationship with Mrs. Santana. Uh, care towards children. Um, okay, care towards yeah, children. That's already discussed. Okay. Um, then... Um, and Lisa brought up the idea of placing the emphasis on uh, her husband or living, uh, rather than so that the, a scenario where there isn't a, 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 a sexual dynamic okay. involved. And three, um, 
caring about the... May I interrupt? You're, you're also saying another thing, that if Bill or you are building relations, it really gives a much more integrity to your involvement uh, holistically. Your whole presence. Your whole presence. Because you're approaching your him. Okay, and yeah. it breaks down the any suspicions they may have of the man coming in. All right. Caring about different interests. Um, Jennifer talked about the software issue of uh, uh, learning, learning how to show interest in something you're, you really have no inclination towards um, reviewing or participating in. Uh, uh, I have a hard time with athletics and sports. You want to lose me real quick? I, I, I don't didn't know that you didn't like sports, but I don't know how I would get along so well. So. Um, now, soap operas, you could, you could call your no, try uh, work on. Um, well, as long as the other person could, could, could uh, um, introduce the characters to you. No, not even that. Uh, there could Please be a, a dialogue going on while something else was happening. I don't mind if the soap opera is on. But if there is more interest in the soap opera and I'm stuck on looking at these things, I yawn. You know, I, I just, man, I just go off real quick, and I just feel like getting sleepy, and... Okay, be careful, because <laughs> two-thirds will jump on you right I know, now. I know, I <laughs> know. Well, once you really pay attention to your hook, that's so far. Okay, <laughs> let's, let's move ahead. Personal issues, man. Okay, like, personal issues. Like drugs, what are the personal issues in your life that you think would cause some major obstacles to building trust. Let me start with this one so you don't think of copy. Okay, again. Taking time. The idea of taking time to spend spend with uh, someone who who could be... Uh, uh, so you're not basically talking about being impatient, you're talking about making time. Budgeting time to be friends. To, be, right. to, to work on... A dimension of friendship. Okay. Um, uh, listening for um, for those of different culture. I find when I sit between these two bookends right here, I it takes so much energy for me just to try to. I'm thinking directly all the time. What in the world is he getting at? You know, or what am I? What is what is he really trying to say? And that, and learning to listen. And, and enjoy the process of someone who has something to say, but you're not exactly sure if, if even with the, the right words, if you're really you're connecting. Yeah. You're really connecting. Yeah. You are, you, and you don't realize, but having this kind of, it's very, very important because we, I don't know if you're feeling, uh, I would love to get a kind of an evaluation of the dialogue that's gone on between uh, different and how you feel, whether you feel attacked or approached, uh, because uh, in a certain way it says they don't understand me. Uh, and you're trying to say, here's who I am. You're talking generic terms, not me, are you? And he may say, yes, I am talking you. It's an assumption that Americans will be a certain way. Now, this is good. This is very or. It may be exactly what he, uh, what you're thinking. It's generic. It's meaning uh, all of us. Right. So I am used. I am used to people arguing with me, and, uh, and it's not because someone's attacking me. Well, it's just they're responding to a particular viewpoint. I mean, disagreement is not an attack on me as a person. Um, I won't mention any names, but there's a man from Ghana who I drive back from Cuts on, on uh, Tuesday nights. No names, and, and he never argues with me. And and I'm thinking. 
he, 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 he laughs and he says, "Yeah, but I, I wonder what is, you know, is, 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 is he really, is he really agreeing with me, or does he really understand what he's doing?" Okay, good point. Uh, let's. I, I, is there anything personal in your? Uh, uh, yeah, to me, uh, well, this part of discussion too. The other thing is uh, apprehension, with a certain reservation and fear. No? Okay. Uh, Cross culture, you talk to somebody you are not very familiar. Mm -hmm. So Good. okay, is that apprehension, fear, or some other emotions there? Okay, I. Just to thank you, I think this is helpful, and really is. Uh, I'd like to work on a few things with you because I think that one of the major subjects that we're dealing with is this whole matter of how important the messenger is. And I find that we work very little with the messenger and work a great deal with the recipient of the message. And so that most of the material is working on the recipient to such a degree that I think we're failing. And I think we've got to come back to the subject of a messenger and how important the messenger's view of self is to this process of communicating the gospel cross-culturally. Now, let's just take for an example, and maybe some of this fits in, and none of you have really said it, but I think there is, uh, there is in every one of us, um, a difficulty in self-acceptance. Maybe some of you have a tremendous... Uh, high level of acceptance. But I think in most cases, the people that I encounter are people, in ministry that is, people that have some major difficulties or some issues in this area of self-acceptance. And this may lead to some problems in crossing culture or crossing some of these dynamics that we find in welfare mother. Um, and um, let me just say, uh, I, I don't know how your upbringing, all of ours is certainly very different, but I, I think that everything that I learned from within my historical background is that it was intended to make me feel uh, worthless in society. And, uh, uh, and all of these things that uh, you have very little meaning and significance, there are not the materials that say that you had any importance in developing uh, this America. And so you grow up with a certain amount of negativism, self, and that all manifests itself in terrible terms. By the way, I think that that issue of oppression is an impact of the Pentecostal Church. For example, I honestly believe that I have never had any power or authority. Now, I know that we can talk about the spiritual in that, and I agree with the spiritual dimensions, but take the sociological dimensions. Never have I had anything to say about anything in my life. Now I go into a church, and, and understanding that the church is not super-cultural, in the sense that it has a cultural context, you come into that situation, you for the first time have authority, power to make things happen, to change, you can be demonstrative, uh, all the healing and the gifts of the Holy everything. So you've got a spiritual area, but you also have a very bold kind of sociological dimension to this. So you've got to wrestle with that. It's not so pure as we would like it to be. It's only of God. There is something else involved. Now, the other part of it is that there is also a very 
definite, defensive, legalistic approach. Now you may say that's theological. I say yes, there's some theology here, but I want you to understand that it's also sociological. You see, so our self-image determines some of the kinds of ministry that we're doing. It's not divorced from our social reality. And so here we're talking about self-image. And I, I think this is such an important area that I wish we could spend more time on it. Um, let, me, let me go on with this whole issue. Theological self-image development. Uh, does your theology permit you to have the proper self-image that we believe, at least at this point in our history, that God really looks at us with? Uh, do you think that the, the theological presentation in our local churches promote self-image or reject your self-image? How does it how does it work? Yeah, give me just some. There's quick. an emphasis on law and on doing, and I think sometimes it hinders your self-image because when you hear it coming down from the pulpit, you're always you're being told all to do the same thing. Okay. If there's an emphasis on grace and on your full acceptance in Christ and, and how every single aspect of your life is accepted in Him, then you can learn to be yourself in Christ. Okay, good. How does it come across in your context, your, your theological uh, context, how does it, how's it preached? This matter of self. How does it, where does it come up? I'd like to mention that because I believe just within the past week our church has really moved into a new dimension of, I would say, believing about, or in, from the pulpit, <coughs> Of, of who man is uh, in the the doctrine of the depravity of man, man's utter sinfulness uh-huh. um, uh, uh, preaching that, that works with almost a Pauline um, uh, mentality that uh, I am the chief of sinners and but to stand in confidence knowing that you are completely accepted that you have the position and status of, uh, of, this, of a son of God a child of God, and uh, that, that uh, the idea that we don't have to to uh, have a bad self-image because we are fully aware that we are, or partially aware that we are fully depraved. But it wasn't that way. No, I, I would say it's the first time, and uh, I've gone to this church all except for my time away for, from for college. I've never, I've I've always heard things in balance. I've never heard that someone preach in a way that that they are actually convinced that they are a ranked sinner before a bunch of people who particular sins would probably previously uh, uh, get in the way of them following a leader. Okay. How, how, how does it come out in your context? Is self, I mean, think of it, maybe the last message you heard, you must deny yourself. Now, that has this pure sense of Interpretation, and then it has all the conditioning that we we as pastors come come into. How would you see that preached in a Pentecostal church, for example? How would you see it preached in a Presbyterian church? This matter of denying yourself that you cannot serve the Lord unless you deny yourself. Which how are you reading that term? A lot of it has to do with who preaches. And how? I mean, well, where do you hear? No, but I mean, like, if I know the person, uh. 
I hear it through a certain filter because then I, I sit there and I think, okay, I've seen these things operating in this person and someone who seems to live out a life where they know, they really know the grace of God in their lives can say much harder things and it does not offend me. Someone who doesn't seem to know that, they don't even have to say very hard things at all and I'm, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, but do you, you know, do you know the other part of it? You know, and so I'll, you know, the filter is very much, when I know the person, it's very much like, okay, what do I see in your life? To what does your life tell me? Okay, respond to this. If I, if I preach sacrifice in my church, hundreds of people are going to feel good about it. My gosh, Bob's saying I have to go to Bible college and, and, and live in the city. Because that's what he, that's probably where he's going. Now, now, if, if my assistant pastor who has a sports bar gets up and preaches sacrifice, no one's going to feel like they have to give him their own You know what I'm saying? Well, you know what I'm saying? It's like you know, the whole perception depends upon who speaks. Well, yeah, I think but the, the theological persuasion here, and, and, that, and when I heard when, the first time I, I was conditioned to think that if, if you, you can do all things through Christ Jesus, and then I heard Dr. Mason speak of the subject and interpret it and say, that means to me that no, no student in this institution should get anything less than an A. If you don't get an A, something is deeply wrong. So the communication of it was that I was failing God if I could not get an A all the time. Because you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And he put it in that context in chapel talking to students. So he leaves you with a certain thing that you're going to leave that chapel, you, your head way low, your shoulders bent over as slow as you can get. Now that was their interpretation of significant themes of the scriptures. And so in one way Christianity has portrayed us and not given us the content that we need for subjects like denial. And so in, in evangelicalism, in Christianity, we have picked up some of these things that are horrible to missions. Uh, I think that a, a person that has a self-image will also have probably a higher view or superior view of his culture, or something that will leave superior and inferior at a greater gap than allow this kind of reciprocity. Yeah, that, if, if you talk about like success, you know, success in Christ, I think it's very American thinking to start thinking in business terms. Yeah. Uh, numbers. Uh, you know, do we use the best stationery to print our church newsletter on? Uh, all these little details that come out. And whereas, you know, you know, never send out anything that's Xerox or something like that. Have it all printed. And I, and I was talking with somebody about these things, and I was like, my church can afford to have anything printed. You know, um, we don't, we, you know, we don't care whether our building is you know, like it was printed yesterday. We we just care about getting the people in there and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So. You know, there's these definitions of, of what it means to succeed in Christ, which aren't necessarily biblical, but are superimposed on it. Let me, um, let me give you some things that maybe would help, and they, they need further uh, definition, but I'd like to give you a list of six things that maybe we need to work on in our own journey in life and ministry. And um, in this subject of... of uh, of ministering cross-culturally. The first one, because of the, the importance of the messenger, is the subject of accepting yourself. 
in wrestling with where you're really at with the subject of, and you know, certainly you're in process, but beginning to accept, let's accept things that you already know you cannot change, although society has proven to us that you can change, like your gender. Um, there's questions here, you know. Um, for an example, if you come out of the milieu of where females are constantly put into certain categories, you may have great difficulty in this matter of accepting yourself. Now, this is going to be projected in the mission field. And it may you may find yourself uh, doing exactly what everyone's told you about yourself, you doing that with common and welfare mother. So you've got to look at the things that are not not uh, changeable. Your color. Let's take your your color, your your ethnicity. Um, I think you've got to begin accepting that, and yet there are things there that we've got to, which is a second area that we'll talk about. But the first area is beginning to accept things. You can, you're you're Anglo, you're white, you're Hispanic, you're black, you're Asian. But you've got to begin accepting that in a cross-cultural setting. And I often feel, and I noticed it with, with the young men that I'm working with uh, that are doing ministry, I, and when they look at the, uh, the excitement of the black community, or they look at the preaching and the excitement of the black church, and they, in some ways, they want to be like that. They want to do it like that. They want to have all that kind of... And I think they have to accept their own reality as who they are as people, and, uh, and yet there's a sense where you're, you're beginning to deny yourself in wrong terms. And you want to be... Uh, so you feel, I can't reach out to black young children or young men because I am Anglo. I mean, and you begin to take kind of an inferior attitude towards it, but that will turn out to be uh, maybe some of the things that we were exhorted not to do. You may find yourself very, very paternalistic in that sense. So I think accepting yourself is one of the areas... Uh, the second area, and this is the one because our culture has fallen, our conditions are uh, sin-tainted, uh, remove that which is extra baggage. Begin to work in process, removing that which is extra baggage. One of the things that I feel that if we don't permit our students that come from other countries to interact and to learn together, I think it's a disservice if we're not able to come together and listen to each other. I think this milieu here, this classroom, and we talked about what are our personal struggles when we listen to each other. Uh, what are the things that we thought we would never think of, that that's not me kind of thing would come out here. I think it would be helpful. So remove the extra baggage, and I think that this mirror of the two-thirds world showing us certain things is crucial. For example, you need to you need to evaluate your your value system. You need to in looking at the the extra baggage that we carry into ministry. We need to look at uh, our uh, value system, our perception of uh, of others and the and the way they live. For an example, um, this matter that you were just talking about the material. Um, we have folks that after so many years that if. If a, uh, a church in the city writes out a newsletter, sends it out, 
The moment they read it, they find all the grammatical mistakes. Two seconds they found all the... Not only that, they said, you know, this could have been done much better and it would have received much more... Uh, it would have been much more prestigious and received money because it looks reliable. And so immediately, they downgrade the material. So you, you have this kind of... Uh, uh, students from Wheaton Graduate School come into our school and they find that the desks are like very antiquated. They're not really up to par. So they walk into our school and they see desks that we received when schools threw them away and we picked them up. And we're using those desks in our school, which is for the poor. And so they walk in immediately on the furniture. They say, this is a poor school. They didn't look at the content, what was going on, or anything else. They basically came to conclusion with their value system. Where do they live? They live in Wheaton. They have a very high middle-class uh, lifestyle, and, uh, and so that these kinds of things are, are things that are not qualitatively good. Um, you've got to deal with your value system. Uh, nothing should, and this is a process. We, we're shocked when we see ourselves. Like I mentioned, just a female doctor that I went to, and recognizing immediately my response to the female doctor was that, because I've never been with, was that, I had nearly qualitatively made a decision quickly. Male, is, male doctor is superior, better. Female doctor is not as superior, not as capable. I wonder about to change. Now, I caught myself in that situation and really repented of that because that was something I've been ingrained with. You see, and I needed to, I'm just saying that when we face that, we're shot by our own situation. I think there's excessive baggage that we bring into, into our communities that we're working with and offends other people. Um, and you can think of many others. The third area is the, su the subject that you've been mentioning here is uh, learn to listen. They're both two important words, learning and listening, two important words. In themselves. And I you mean learn to listen only conversationally, or we have to be very we have to be like an observant also, the gesture and everything. Some people just yeah, refuse right. to talk, you know. Yeah. I, I I agree. With, I think you know my it's like there's so much learning going on when I listen to things that you're saying, and if I listen not with not with self-centeredness, but really, in a sense, to to understand what's going on here. It's a different it's a different experience for me. I I've often found that if I could lay back a little bit and see other people outside talking, I nearly know, like in group therapy, I know who who the scapegoat's going to be, who the leader's going to be, who initiates conversation at the group dynamic. I I could see that when a person is occupying the time. 15 minutes and two-thirds of the times one person is only talking. I know that there's going to be some issues there. There were and there's some so you nearly have to see where do you have this. Now we're trained nearly to to occupy all the time by talking. That's what they teach us at school. And in some ways we've got to learn how to listen. And the listening as Bob was saying sometimes may be difficult for a variety of reasons, but I think what a healthy situation for him. Now, he may put it in some category. By the way, I think we do that here by saying, thinking that if a person doesn't speak as eloquently as uh, an Anglo, or doesn't write as eloquently, 
that there's something inferior about not their academic abilities, but about the person. You know, remember that this happened to my wife when she came from the islands, that she was put into, into a low class of special education children because she wasn't able to, to do the language. And, uh, and so I'm, what I'm trying to say is that here I've got to re-wrestle with all of that. Superior, inferior. Qualitative and less qualitative. I think learn to listen is, is also very, the culture problem. You know? uh, for example, I come to this country, I know the children of this country have been trained up to be eloquent, you know. But uh, if you go to a Chinese context, children are taught to be li- taught to listen, you know. Don't interrupt when the adults are speaking. You have to keep quiet. But my children are in school, in the public school here, you know. He automatically put up his hand. That's why I'm a bit worried by the time he gets back to our <laughs> home country, you know. He may be regarded as, uh, as uh, impolite, uh, incourteous, you know. It's different, you know. That's why you can see in class discussion, you know, international students seldom, seldom uh, raise opinion, not only because of the language problem, is because uh, we are from different background. Mm-hmm. I, I have been uh, westernized in a way, that's why I, I talk quite a lot, because I'm also a minister. But different, seldom you can see, see, see the, the Asians or the Koreans uh, ask questions in class, you know. But I think learn to listen is also, some people, are, are, it doesn't mean that um, the Chinese people are good listeners. Sometimes they listen with resentment. It doesn't mean that they agree with nothing. I think it's also very important when you listen, you have to have a humility, you know, willing to really trying to learn. It's a very interesting thing, uh, working I shared in the last time a little bit. Here's a classroom, uh, three, six, seven, uh, eight. Um, the, the students are divided. These are the students that usually raise their hands in the classroom. And, they're, and usually the teachers like them. And what we found out was the teachers were short on when Bill tried to speak. He didn't come up quickly with the answer. He went over here because these were the A students and B students, the good students. Now, think about what happens. Bill's learning a behavior. It, they're impatient, but with you, we can wait. We know that you're going to produce. Uh, we know who's going to raise a hand, and, and so therefore, here's a classroom. I'm always looking on the left. Never bother with the right. Uh, he sits down eventually, understands that they're not going to be expecting anything from me, so he sits down in his, in his seat and just sits there for the 12 years of education, in a sense. Here, these students are moving towards college-bound, and they're getting the grades and so forth, and he's learned a behavior that teachers don't, don't expect anything from me, and therefore, and that begins to happen. So the school is beginning to handle some of these challenges and saying, how do I do that? So one of the ways it's going to be is taking this group of students and spending time with them. You know how many volunteers we got out of the public school system? Very few. Very few. That means you will drown in the system. They will excel. Another interesting thing, they took the students and did a case study and said to the students, purposely, all the students were of equal background, kind of a very homogeneous setting, academically, the scores and everything else. They said to these students here on the left, he said, you're going to do well in my class. 
I know that you're going to produce. I have great expectations for you. Uh, your family are always with you, and I am very supportive of your work. In this side of the room, Gwen said, the very, I don't expect a great deal. I know that it's not going to be things that you can do. At the end of that year, the grades were uh, consistent with the attitude that the teacher had. It was planned, and this group didn't produce. This group did produce. See how all of these kinds of things that we nearly... We can never re remove ourselves from the psychological and the issues that we're bringing and projecting into ministry. So it is something that I, all I say to you is, in, hopefully in community, that we're dealing with some of the baggage that we're bringing into, into uh, ministry. Uh, listen and learn. Something that I think is, I think the learning skill issue. I really have to watch myself of learning how, developing a skill of learning. This Miller, uh, I think it's uh, Ralph Miller, has written some books on listening. Um, it, it's a real whole attitude. It's something more. You know when people are listening to you and when people are listening to you. There's a difference. If one shows that he's really interested or she's interested in you. The other one says, um, are you finished? And they're not looking at you a variety of things. I think all of that is part of our learning. We're in a society that we don't really do a lot of caring for people, that we really take time with them. Time is a question. I hope it comes out in your cultural. Some of you uh, have disclosed your inner selves to me <laughs> um, about the subject of time. Uh, so, uh, fourthly, most of you here don't agree with Carl Rogers, certainly the institution despise me for saying this, but Carl Rogers, Rogers is a whole matter of uh, therapy uh, in his book, Becoming a Person, gave this, gave this quote. Uh, you may want to copy it or not. The degree to which I can create relationships, the degree to which I can create relationships which facilitate the growth of the other as a separate person the degree to which I can create relationships which facilitate the growth of the other as a separate person is a measure of the growth I have achieved in myself. Is a measure, is the measure of the growth I have achieved in myself. The degree to which I can create relationships which facilitate the growth of the other as a separate person is a measure of the growth I have achieved in myself. That's Carl Rogers on becoming a person. I think it's a good statement. I think it's a helpful statement. Uh, number four is really the acceptance of others. And we're learning to do that in class. We're learning to do that acceptance of others. And I'm not sure where your difficulty is or... Um, at this point, what time do you have? Ten two. I, I wanted to dismiss this early because I didn't give you a break, so I will, I will do that. But I wanted to come at this point. I wanted to deal with racism, sexism, mm -hmm. ethnocentrism, and paternalism. Four areas that you've been talking about in class that we feel none of us have. Or maybe we do. Jane, you're very honest with us about many things. These are areas that uh, that I think we do struggle with. 
racism, sexism, ethnocentrism, ethno, ethnocentrism and paternalism. But before we go into definition, so that I won't miss it, I'd like you to come to the case study of Black and White by uh, this young man, Elliot Jones, who speaks in the chapel. And uh, Dean, would you, would you be kind enough to read the case study for, uh, for the taping? And say, I have extra copies if someone is missing. Um, I'm missing it. Read the whole thing? Uh, read the case study from uh, coming here to college. As he speaks, he's speaking in a chapel. Okay. Coming here to college as a freshman four years ago was a big experience for me because it was something altogether new. I didn't know quite what to expect, but I did know that I should expect things to be different because I went to a high school in Chicago that was all black. And I knew that when I came here, the situation would not be the same in that here it is predominantly white. When I came, my roommate was probably shocked because he didn't know what he was getting. I knew what to expect, but he didn't. I was the only black person in my room. I was the only black person in the wing of the dorm. I was the only black person in my dorm. I was the only black person in most of my classes. This was really a different situation for me. There's one verse that I want to emphasize in the things I'll be saying. Let love be without hypocrisy. One of the first things I noticed when I came here to college and walked into a room was that I was obvious. I felt obvious because I was different. It was something I had never felt before because you don't really feel that you're different until you get into a situation where you really are different. You know, of course, in a way, when you're different, it's because society says you are. In all my experience before I came here, I didn't feel obvious because I blended in with everybody. I was just part of the whole. But here, just walking into a room made my made me feel eyes everywhere and they seemed just to look on let's say they seemed just to look on me making me feel obvious the eyes seemed to say that I didn't belong like are you lost can I help you which way are you going are you sure you're in the right place this wore off pretty much after a while thank goodness because it was a pretty rough experience being obvious I don't think very many of you have experienced that and you may never experience it unless you're in a situation where you're the only white person in an all-black group. It's really a weird experience, and I was glad that people finally got used to seeing me. Everybody seems to think that all black people look alike. For three years, I was called Rick Dudley. But the thing is, we don't all look alike. We all have different personalities, and we're different in every way. We're real people, and every way that you are different from each other, we're different also. Another thing that I experienced was a lot of kids coming up to me and asking me what country I was from. My answer would usually be, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. What country are you from? Then a lot of people have seemed to be really interested in my social life. I always get questions like, I bet your social life is really rough. I bet you have a really frustrating time. These things made me feel obvious or made me feel different because my blackness was always re-emphasized. And it's, it's still emphasized every day though, through just such comments as these. One of the questions people always ask me after first meeting me is if I play any sports. No, I don't play any sports because I wasn't any good. Not all black people are athletes, especially me. Some people tell me I bet you were a good dancer once. No, I wasn't because my feet were so big that I was kind of clumsy. Or I get a question like this, does sunburn hurt? Oh, I forgot, I'm sorry. The next question would be, do Negroes sunburn? And my answer is, I don't know, I've never had one. Or I may be walking down the street one evening from the library back to the dorm, and I see a friend and he says, smile, Jonesy, so I can see you. So I smile. 
These are things which make me feel obvious and which make me constantly aware of my blackness. Another good time for me is usually on parents' weekends. I have been through four of them now, and every time the parents come, I really get a kick out of watching their reaction at seeing me. It's usually one of two reactions, usually fear, because they might be afraid that I'm taking their out their daughter, or I might be rooming with their son. Or the other reaction is one of interest. They come up, shake my hand, and say, how are you? Pleased to meet you. Where are you from? You know, extreme in interest. <laughs> and I know they don't just walk up to any kid and react to him this way. And so this, too, makes me feel conscious... Er, makes me conscious constantly of my blackness. I think one of the reasons that parents react the way they do, especially parents with kids here, is because everybody comes from middle-class suburbia, which reeks. The whole atmosphere, I think. And I've come to dislike it quite a bit after having been here. I really didn't know too much about it while I was at home in Chicago where I lived. Middle-class suburbia to me is so stifling, and people don't seem to be free. Everyone is in a box, in a system where they follow through with certain norms and certain things which they just feel they have to do in order to survive within the system. And I reject this because people don't seem real. They seem like artificial mannequins. I went to high school a couple of weeks ago to speak to some English classes on race relations, and it was very interesting to me to know how ignorant most of the students there were of what was going on in the world just because of the fact that they live in suburbia. They were so sheltered from the realities of life, they had no idea, no concept of what was really going on in the world. And this was really surprising to me. Another thing I noticed was that there were two types of students there. The students classified themselves as greasers and raws. The raws were students much like you, clean cut, good dressers, worked hard at school. I would say they were probably conservative compared to the other kids. The greasers were the kids that wore, I guess, the hoods, sort of. You know, slick heads and leather jackets, stuff like this. One class I talked to was predominantly the greasers, and the other class I talked to was predominantly Ross. I found that within the group of greasers, there was a lot more freedom of expression, and I felt more free to express myself. They seemed to be more alive and able to react to me more quickly than the other kids did, because the other kids seemed to be out of it. I think the system had become so much a part of them because of their living where they lived and they're wanting to follow through with it and its norms. And because I've been here at college, I've come to reject all of these. Being here at school has helped me tremendously to know myself. I've been forced to. Being black can be an exciting and challenging thing, especially in a place like this. The situation here has helped me to assert my blackness like never before because I was definitely different from everybody else. Being here, I became initially very conscious of my blackness, so I was forced to think more about me, about what and who I was, why I was here, and how I was to relate to everybody around me. But that caused somewhat of a problem at first, because I'd always been taught to be proud of the fact that I was black, and at the same time, I was supposed to look at myself as equal to everybody else. But at first, this was hard for me, because being black at first connoted that I had to be superior to be proud of it, but I learned through experience that, that, that it didn't mean that. It meant that I shouldn't be ashamed of my blackness, but I should accept it as part of me, and hopefully that you should accept it as part of me. There were times when I wanted to forget my blackness. I wanted to throw it away because its presence became a nuisance to me, because I was part of the whole, and then again I wasn't. I thought that my blackness would be a barrier at first to my acceptance in the group, especially in relationship to females. So I wanted to throw it away, I wanted to reject it, but actually what I really wanted to do was throw off the implication that came with being black, 
rather than throwing off being black itself. I wanted to be accepted as a man who happens to be black rather than a man whose blackness means that he should be treated in a certain way. What's important, I think, is to realize that I am black and you are white and be realistic about it. Look at me as an individual just as Christ looks at you and me as individuals. My blackness does not cloud my relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't attach any special connotations or conditions because I'm black. He accepts me for, for what I am as a man. I was going to speak at a youth meeting once, and a lot of problems arose because they usually had the meeting in a lady's house, but she didn't want to have it when I was coming because she was afraid of what the neighbors might say. Okay, that was fine. So, so then they were going to have it in a church, but she didn't want to have it in the church because she was afraid of the reaction the pastor might get from the neighborhood. So finally we had to have it in a high school in a different community. That was exciting to me because I've never caused so much trouble before. <laughs> Let love be without hypocrisy. When you say love, do you really love? Or are you just saying it? How would you react? Or how do you think Christ would react? Suppose you were on a new job and your boss was black. How would you react? Or you arrived at grad school to find that your roommate was black. Or you see an interracial couple walking down the street. Or your brother and sister falls in love with a beautiful black person. Will your reaction be, what will the neighbors think? Or what about the children? Or how will you react when a black person child wants to join your lily white Sunday school? How will you react when social pressure says, stay away from him because he's black? If you don't, we will ostracize you. Are you willing to put some teeth into your commitment to Christ? Are you really willing to let Christ's love be expressed through you to others in a real, sincere, and genuine way? He wants us to be able to love a person for who he is and not because of what he is. Okay. Discussion on the uh, what came out of this case study in relation to what we've been talking what we're some of you are thinking on this. I thought he raised five issues. Okay. There we go. <laughs> We've got five issues. How does one relate to a community when you are in the minority? How do you deal with faulty racial stereotypes? How do you deal with outright prejudice? How do you deal with dissatisfaction with cultures other than your own and what determines your identity? Good. Good. Any other thoughts on this case study? What does it ring home to you? I mean, some of you have gone through some of these experiences. To my observation, I felt that you raised up certain uh, factors. I see, the racism seems to be stronger in the middle class by suburbia, where he, the college what? was, yes. yes. And, uh, and also I see the community and social system worked in such a way that affect the whole community. The author as a black uh, coming to that situation is not just like uh, a Nielsen or, or to that community mm-hmm. and to himself. So, Kind of very big contrast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see. In this case, the racism is not a problem of, of class discrimination because these blacks that uh, uh, have uh, discriminated by his white companions who have the same condition, you know, they 
they are belong to same school. Uh, this Brexit have has brought up you know, in in the middle class situation. Uh, I think she never been experienced the low class uh, mm-hmm. life life of a black ghetto. I mean, I mean they. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Elliot Jones and his white companions have the same condition in class, in in especially you know, uh, black black American is not originated African culture. I mean, they have they have been cut off from the African cultural situation. I mean. They have been under the under the influence of Euro-American culture. They are Euro Europeanized. I mean, they, they, their situation is different with Korean Korean people or or Chinese or any other ethnic groups. I mean, uh, do you experience this as a Korean? Would you? Say so, yeah, I can identify with this. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I have never experienced this kind, this kind of situation. But anyway, in this case study, in this case, there is no reason to, to, to find the base for for racism. You know, because they, they have all of them have the same condition. I think eventually, I think racism is the. Expression of human corrupt corruption, the symphonies, the is the is the disclosure of our our irrationality. There because there is no rational reason to to find racism. They they have same same quali- qualification. Okay. If, 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 you, if you hate if you hate me because I'm white. And your and your uh, and your conditions of hate for me are responding to the fact that maybe white people have abused your parents. Uh, maybe they kicked you out of a neighborhood. Um, would would now? I'm not saying all Asians hate or all whites hate. But, you know, but, but I'm saying your. Your your conclusion of disliking me because of bad experience with white Anglo-Saxon Protestants from America, would you say that is completely irrational, uh, or would you say there's historic precedent for basis uh, for uh, some of your beliefs? I'm just analyzing this case. No. When you know, in the viewpoint of Elias, 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 uh, yeah. in the viewpoint of Elias Jones, there is no rational reason. For racism, but I, I I mean I mean in in the situation of a black and white, you know uh, 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 I need I need a lot of time to to explain uh, what I experienced as, as Asians. But anyway, in this in this case, racism is an irrational okay. hatred, a kind of a human human. Please, in fact, last time when I read this. Um, Case study, I found that I'm almost in the same situation, you know. And here you can feel that Elliot feels some sort of inferiority complex. And uh, but I also experienced a similar thing when I when I came down here, you know. I asked myself, how how can I relate to 
all the white people around. Can I mix them with them? You know, some people even come to me, ask me some questions. Uh, we hear that, okay, Africans live on the trees and all this. You know, <laughs> in fact, I was actually um, embarrassed. You, you, you get it. And I, the question that I asked, I then maybe your ambassadors in our countries are also living on trees. <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the answer, you know. So they, they told me that they, they have the concept, the idea that, okay, Africa, we don't have buildings and all this. We don't have, uh, so, in fact, and then some people also came to me, where are you from, and all those things. And this actually tried to put me inside a situation that, what did these people want me, you know? And I try as much as possible to break this barrier, you know? And as Bob was saying, sometimes when he's talking, it's not that uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe he wants me to argue with him. But uh, one thing is that I just want to listen. You know, it takes me some time before I will be able to get closer to you. And when I get closer to you, uh, that is it. And uh, like Jim, like this, I can even sh uh, even sometimes share my uh, problems with her. And she gives me some sort of advice and all these things, you know. And I feel that uh, as a and an African, it will take some time for me before I'll be able to adjust myself into this culture. Because this culture is a different culture altogether. You know, I could see the American people that they, 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 are, they cannot open up. You know, that is how I see it. But in Africa, when you see a stranger, you first approach the person. You ask him of your... Uh, uh, his needs and everything, and you will try to accommodate him. And that is not uh, the culture here. This culture is individualistic. So it's very important, and I need to spend some time to study this culture. That is why sometimes when people are talking, I just listen to them. I don't need to maybe try to argue with them, you know. So these are some of the programs that I encounter. Yeah.